So it's interesting, my wife is pretty perceptive, and what I find interesting is often I feel like my wife knows me a little bit better than I know me. For example, sometimes uh, I might be a little bit quiet or acting a little bit strange, and she'll ask me, so why are you upset? What's the matter? To which I'll respond, nothing. I'm fine. And then I'll think about it for five or ten minutes or an hour, and then I'll think, hmm, I guess I was a little bit about, upset about something. I also have this bad habit of leaving my keys in various places around the house or even the church when I work here. Uh, so I've left them in various places, like I've left them on the buffet, the dining room table. I've left them in the kitchen. I've left them in the floor uh, and Paul's uh, playroom. I've left them in the bathroom. I've left them uh, on a windowsill behind the curtain. Uh, I've left them various places in the church. If you look around on a Sunday morning, you might just see them. Uh, I've left them in the actual door, in the lock. And on the very rarest of occasions, I'll leave them on the hook where they belong. And oftentimes when I do that, I still can't find them because I couldn't imagine that I would put them there. You'd think I'd learn, but each morning is kind of an Easter egg hunt. And so I'll get up and start looking for my keys and my wallet and my phone. And if I can't find them right away, I'll often go to Stephanie. I'll say, hey, have you seen my keys? And what's amazing is about... 50%, 50%, even more, more than 50% of the time, she'll know the weird place that I put my keys. It's like, how did, how did you know that? I, I put it there, and I don't remember that I put it there. Or things about myself I didn't know, uh, like I didn't know that I had a dimple. Stephanie says that I have a dimple. Apparently I have a dimple. I never knew for uh, 27 years of my life that I had a dimple until I met Stephanie. And, and sometimes I feel like Stephanie knows better than I know myself, and I think that's true of God. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And in the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus encounters some strangers, strangers to him, people he had never met, and yet he knows so much about them. He knows more about them than they know about themselves. And I think in this passage we learn a number of important things. The first thing we learn is that Jesus knows our past. When Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, Nathaniel asks Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus tells him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we're not told about the significance of uh, Jesus seeing Nathaniel under the fig tree. Uh, it could be that he was referencing Zechariah 3, verse 10, which said that uh, neighbors would, uh, everyone would call his neighbor under the fig tree. Rabbis traditionally uh, thought of the fig tree as being a place of meditation and prayer. We don't know for sure if, if there was some special significance of why he mentioned the fig tree or if it was just that he was under the fig tree and Jesus said, oh, you were just there under the fig tree. But clearly what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nathaniel is that he knows information about him that he could not otherwise know. That he knows some divine things about him that there's no way humanly that he, he would know. Now we know that the reason that Jesus knows so much about Nathaniel is that Jesus was involved in the creation. That he knew Nathaniel from the moment he was conceived. Psalm 139 says this, My frame was not hidden from you. 
when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows and He cares about each and every one of us, even the unborn. Which, by the way, is why abortion is an affront to God. But think about it. God knows everything that you've been through. He knows your past. He knows the suffering that you've experienced. He knows the, the sadness that you experienced when you lost a loved one. Felt like there was a hole in your heart. He knows the abuse that maybe you experienced as a child from a loved one. He knows the pain you experienced when the spouse said for the final time, I don't love you anymore. He knows us inside and out. He knows the wounds that we carry, the pains that shape us, and He's well aware of everything that we've gone through. But He's also well aware of our sin. He knows that we've fallen short of His glory time and time again. And yet He chooses to love us anyways. See, we all come from different backgrounds. There's some things that maybe you have experienced in your life that maybe I can't understand. Maybe there's some things I've experienced in my life that you can't understand. But God knows exactly what we've been through. He understands our past. He knows the hardships that we've carried. He knows the sins that, uh, that we've uh, committed. And yet still He chooses to love us. Praise the Lord that we serve a God who knows us, who knows everything that we've gone through and understands us. So Jesus knows our past. We also see in this passage that Jesus knows our present. The text tells us in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now when I first read this, I thought that Jesus was being sarcastic, especially given the fact uh, that Nathaniel had kind of given a smart reply when he heard about Jesus, when he said, can anything good come out of Galilee? But from everything we see, it seems like Jesus was being sincere here. He says, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit or no guile. Now what's interesting is you think about Israel and where did the, the name Israel come from? The first time Israel came on the scene was when God called Jacob, who was known as the deceiver. He made him into a nation, called him Israel. Now, what Jesus is essentially saying here is that there is, behold, Nathanael is an Israelite without guile. In other words, he's an Israelite without Jacob. And so he states that he sees Nathanael's heart. He knows his motives. Nathanael's a straightforward person. He's not playing games spiritually. And the same thing is true. Jesus knows Nathanael's heart, and Jesus also knows our hearts. He knows if there's deceit in our hearts. He knows if we're open to hearing from Him. See, we could fool everybody else in the world, put on the greatest spiritual show, but Jesus sees our heart. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I mean, have you ever felt misunderstood before? Have you ever tried to do the right thing and it kind of just blew up in your face? Jesus knows. Jesus knows your motives. Jesus knows your heart. Even if to other people that's not clear. Even if other people question you and your motives. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is when Samuel was about to anoint David as king. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on, the height, on his height of stature, because I have rejected him. 
For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus knows what's going on in the depths of our heart. But he also knows what's going on presently in our circumstances. Today is November 1st, 2020. Now, as we were rounding the corner on 2019, at the end of the year uh, 2019, if you did one of those, you know, kind of questions, so where do you see yourself in, in a year? I don't think anyone would have seen ourselves where we are now. Who would have predicted that there would be this great pandemic that would change everything that we know? Who would have predicted the social, racial unrest in our country? Perhaps the most divisive election in American history. There's so many things that we didn't predict, but God knew that they were coming. God knew exactly what was going to happen, and for whatever reason, He's allowed these things to happen. Again, Tuesday, election day, it's coming up. We don't know what's going to happen, but God knows what's going to happen. And the good news is neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden can, can change God's plan. God's plan will prevail no matter who is in the White House. And as believers, we can trust in Him no matter what happens. And the greatest thing we can do is pray for our country, pray that our country would return to God, pray that we would come to a place of unity and trust in Him that He knows what is happening, why is happening. And as believers, we simply need to trust in Him in the midst of uncertainty. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells a story about how her and her father were riding on a train from Amsterdam to Harlem. And previously she had stumbled upon a poem, and in that poem she saw the words, Sex Sin. And so she was seated next to her father, and so she asked her father, What is a sex sin? She says, He turned and looked at me, as he always did when answering a question. But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from the rack of, over our heads, set it on the floor. He said, will you carry this off the train, Corey? I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be a pretty for, poor father who would ask this little girl to carry such a load. He said, in the same way, Corey, with knowledge, it's the same way with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you're older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. She says, and I was satisfied, more than satisfied, wonderfully at peace. There were answers to this and all my hard questions for now. I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. Some things we don't have the answers to. We don't know why everything has happened this year the way that it's happened. At times it might seem senseless, but God knows what's happening. And for whatever reason, He has allowed it to happen. And as believers, we need to trust in Him. Trust that He has a plan. Trust that He has His glory and our good in mind. Jesus knows what's going on presently. He also knows what's going to happen in the future. Verse 42 says, He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, speaking of Simon, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I think this is a very interesting thing for Jesus to say. Uh, for all we know, this is the first time that Jesus meets Peter or Simon. And 
the first time he meets him, he renames him, calls him Cephas, Aramaic, Peter, and the Greek. In the ancient world, renaming someone was a very significant event. And what's also significant is the fact of what the name is. Now, scholars tell us that this name, Cephas or Peter, was most likely not a very common proper name. It wasn't like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was kind of an odd name. Almost like you'd think of just like an object if you called someone rock today. Of course, in our culture, you know, the rock. It's the rock is Dwayne Johnson. And why is he called the rock? He's called the rock because he used to be a wrestler and now he's an actor and, and whatever else he does. And he's just a ginormous human being, really muscular. And so someone, you know, early on called him the rock because he was so powerful. Now, I find it interesting, the first time Jesus meets Simon, he calls him rock. You're the rock. Later in Matthew chapter 18, or Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus tells Peter this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is even more surprising because Jesus knows what's going to happen in Peter's life. Jesus knows that Peter is going to say and do some really dumb things. Jesus knows that he's going to be among the disciples that are debating who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knows that when he proclaims his plan to the disciples that he's going to suffer and die, it's going to be Peter who rebukes him and says, Master, this is not going to happen. And remember what Jesus told him. He said, get behind me, Satan. He knows that it's going to be Peter who pledges undying loyalty to him. And yet three times in his uh, darkest moments, in Jesus' darkest moments, three times Peter says, I don't even know the man. Jesus knows all of these things are going to happen. So you might expect that when Jesus meets Simon, he says, Simon, what's your name? And he says, Simon. He says, I'm not going to call you Simon any longer. I'm going to call you failure because I know that you're going to fail me. He could have done that. That would have been true. But that's not how God operates. God doesn't judge us by our failures. He doesn't name us by our failures. He names us according to what he's doing in our life and what he's going to do. He names us according to who he's making us to be. And so Jesus calls him Peter. He calls him the rock, even though now he's not the rock. Even though now he's going to make a bunch of terrible mistakes. But Jesus is going to make him into the rock. And so he calls him Cephas or Peter. For those of us who are believers in Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God gives us the gift of His righteousness. He gives us the gift of His righteousness so God no longer sees our sin, but He sees Christ's perfect righteousness. And as we go throughout our life, God is transforming us slowly into the image of Christ. He's transforming us so that we actually become righteous in our words and our deeds. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And yet we stumble along the way. We fail more times than we'd like to admit. The journey of Christian growth is an upward journey, but it's three steps up, two steps back. Four steps up, three steps back. And we fail along the way, and we all are still plagued with sin. 
But praise the Lord that God doesn't judge us by our sin. He doesn't name us by our sin. He names us according to what He's making us to be. And what Christ has done for us on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ, He has renamed us. We're no longer sinners in the eyes of God. We are now saints. Even though we fall short. Even though we fail along the way, He sees us according to what Christ has done for us and what He's making us to be. Praise the Lord that He sees us according to the righteousness of Christ rather than uh, based upon our own failings. One author once wrote this, When I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was already mine, the victory already won, the crown already in my grasp. I thought the old things had passed away, that the all, all things had become new, and that my old corrupt nature, the old life, was gone. But I found that after serving Christ for a few months, that conversion was only like enlisting in the army, that there was a battle on hand. We'll fail, but God will finish the work that He's completed, that He started. Where is workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God is making us into the people that He wants us to be. Corey Tamboon said this, every experience God gives us, every person He puts into our lives is the perfect preparation for a future that only He can see. He sees who He's making us to be. Jesus sees our future. He knows our future. He knows what He's going to do in our lives. And He doesn't define us by our failures. He defines us by the work of Christ and what He's making us to be. Jesus knows our past. Jesus knows our present. Jesus knows our future. There's a story of a, a grandmother and a younger lady. They're sitting on the porch, and grandmother was just kind of rocking in a rocking chair, and they're talking. And this young lady talks about how this family member... Uh, was just a terrible person. She said he's lazy, he's disrespectful, he's untrustworthy, he's just no good. The grandmother responded and said, well, yeah, I know he's bad, but Jesus loves him. The young girl said, well, I'm not so sure. The grandmother replied and said, well, yes, of course, Jesus loves him. Then after a moment of thinking about it, the grandma, rocking in her chair, said, well, I guess Jesus doesn't know him as well as we know him. Have you ever felt like that about yourself? Have you ever felt like if God really knew who you were, if God really saw the depth of your sin, he wouldn't love you, he would reject you? I feel like this is one of the most fundamental and the worst effects of the fall. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? What did they do? They walked with God in the cool of the day. Each day they would have fellowship with God. And then sin came into the world. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then after that, what happened? They weren't walking with God anymore. In fact, when God was there to walk with them, they were nowhere to be found. They were hiding. And then God goes and finds them as if he didn't know where they were already. But he goes and he finds them. And what does Adam say? He says, I was afraid because I was naked. 
I was afraid because I was naked. In other words, I was afraid if you saw me for who I am, you would reject me. I think all of us have that fear. Fear from God, but also fear of other people. If other people really saw who I am, if they knew what I have done in my past, if they knew what I am doing now, or if they know the kind of person I am and the mistakes that I'll make in the future, they, there's no way that they'll accept me. I think that's one of the worst effects of the fall that we experience. But God doesn't see it that way. God runs to those who are broken. Luke chapter 15, we see three stories of people looking for something. In the first story is the story of the lost sheep. If a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one, what is he going to do? He's going to go out and try to find that one lost sheep. Then after that, there's the story of a, of a woman who has ten silver coins. And she, if she loses one of those coins in her house, that she'll search up and down to find that one lost coin. Then there's the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son, the son comes to his father says, give me my share of the inheritance. In essence, what he was saying was, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. The father gave him his inheritance, and then he goes and he spends all of that inheritance on riotous living. Just squanders all of his father's possessions, and then he comes to the lowest point in his life. He's working on a pig farm, longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And yet he can't even eat that. So he thinks to himself, maybe I could go back and be my father's servant. And so he decides he's going to go back. There's no way he could be his father's son anymore. He's forfeited that right. And as he's walking back, I can imagine that he would be wondering how his father is going to react. The anger that would be in his father's voice. The wrath that would come from him. Yet as he's walking back, the father sees him in the distance, probably indicating that he was looking for him. And he does something that Middle Eastern uh, patriarchs never do. He gets up and he runs towards his son. And he wraps a robe around him. And he says, my lost son has been found. And he throws a feast for his son. See, what we expect is we expect when, when, when God was, if God would see who we were, that he would reject us. But when God sees who we are, he runs towards us. God knows our sin. He knows our brokenness, and yet He runs towards us. God knows us, and He still wants us to know Him. God knows the depths of our sin. He knows all of our brokenness, and yet He still wants us to know Him. He still wants to have a relationship with Him. Friday, February 25, 2011, a couple by the name of Emma Howard and Chris Greenslade were married at Christ the King Church in Christ Church, New Zealand. But they had some trouble getting to the church on time. 72 hours before the wedding, there was a big earthquake that hit New Zealand. And in the aftermath, Emma, the bride-to-be, found herself trapped in a building that had collapsed in the earthquake. Buried under the rubble, she sent an alarming text to her fiancé. Chris said, I got this text saying, it's Emma here, I'm okay, and I love you very much. Immediately, he dropped everything, rushed across town, and came upon a horrifying sight. There, Chris saw Emma's building reduced to a pile of beams and concrete. He said, it was the worst thing I've ever felt in my life. But immediately, Chris set about the task of rescuing her. 
Along with other people, they started to remove the debris. And eventually, after six hours, they were able to bring her out. And then three days later, she was married. I think that's a picture of what Christ does for us. He takes us out of the wreckage that is our life so that we might have a relationship with Him. God knows us. He knows the brokenness in our hearts. He knows where we've fallen short. He knows where we fall short, and He knows where we will fall short. And yet He still wants a relationship with us. If there's anybody here who isn't a believer, anybody who's listening, on, listening online, God knows you and He loves you anyways. God knows you and He loves you anyways. He wants a relationship with you, but He won't force that relationship. We have to say yes to that relationship. The Bible says the way that we say yes is by faith. Faith is essentially putting our trust in Jesus. It's like, you know, you come to your wedding day and you're saying your vows and saying, as much as I know about this person, I'm committing my life to myself to do life with them to death do us part. In the, in the same way, when we come to God and say yes to a relationship with, with Him, we say, I might not know everything there is about God, but I want to do life with Him. I want to live in relationship with Him. And that's all made possible because of the work of Christ on the, on the cross, who became sin for us so that we might experience a relationship with Him. For those of us who are believers, the message is exactly the same. God loves you. God knows you. God knows you and He loves you anyways. He wants a relationship with you. He knows the sin that you've been hiding. Nobody else knows. And He loves you anyways. And He wants you to bring that brokenness to Him so He can heal it. The question is, are we cultivating that relationship with God? God's heart is open that we would know Him. That we'd experience joy and intimacy with Him, that his, that relationship with Him would be our fundamental joy? Are we pursuing that relationship with all of our hearts? God knows us and yet still wants us to know Him. As we're closing, I'll ask the worship team to come up. There's once a boy, a young boy, and he was trying to learn the Lord's Prayer. And uh, each Sunday in the church that he went to, they would recite the Lord's Prayer. And he was trying to learn it, and he had trouble with it. And the first part, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, and instead of saying, Hallowed be thy name, he said something that's just as theologically true. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, I know you know my name. What a joy it is to know that God knows our name. But he not only knows us, he knows what we've been through, he knows our past. He knows our sins. He knows the things that we're struggling with now. And He knows who He's making us to be. And yet He says, still loves us. Yet He still sent Jesus to die on the cross. He knows us. And He loves us anyways. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You that even though You know the depth of our sin. You still choose to love us. You cho still choose to invite us into a relationship with You. Lord, I pray that we would cultivate that relationship. That we would put in our lives time for You. 
that we would make your relationship with you the greatest priority in our life. Because we know the true joy, true contentment, true peace only comes through a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for anyone here who maybe, or who's listening online who hasn't put their faith and trust in you. I pray that today would be the day that they say yes to you. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much that while we were yet sinners, while we were still under the rubble, you ran towards us and invited us into a relationship with you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.